Uh, and chukis is like Mexican slang for like uh, that moment when you're perfectly buzzed or perfectly drunk. Oh, that's a good word. This week, I'm at Mollusk in Seattle talking to brewers Cody and Carey about their brew pub. I'm the cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. We're at Mollusk Brewery right now, and we're sitting down with... Carrie Dixon, right. brewer. The brewer. What else do you do here, Carrie? Um, everything from unloading grain to bottling to cellaring to making work. All right. We're also here with Cody. Uh, yeah, Cody Morris, uh, brewmaster. I do all the administrative stuff. Cody and Carrie gave me the full tour around the brewery. At some points, we wandered to the back to the 800-square-foot brewing chamber, but we spent most of our time chatting in the lively and very much active seating area, which is easily identified by its ever-present background music. Were you one of the founding members? Or? Yeah, so I started uh, Epic Ales uh, back in 2009. Okay. And so that's basically what this company came from. Um, so back then I did all the brewing. I basically was a one-man team. And then Carrie joined back in 2015 or 14? Okay. 15. So that was right when you opened this location or right before? Uh, a couple months before just okay. so we could uh, kind of get come up with a game plan of how we were going to operate. Okay. Uh, but basically my role is uh, I do all the very boring administrative tasks. Okay. So, you know, uh, basically all the paperwork and, and uh, accounts receivable and that kind of stuff. Right. And then Carrie does the physical production of the beer. Okay. Uh, but we, as time progresses, we get more and more collaborative. Uh, mm. I like just every, with every passing month, really. Okay. So. Um, is there anyone else back there in a brewery side with you guys? Uh, just you two? Yes. Just yeah. you guys. Okay, let's see. So let's go back to the beginning. How did you decide you wanted to open a brewery? Like you probably started off home brewing. Like mm-hmm. tell me what, how, how that story go down. For me, I started home brewing in college. I was going to the Evergreen State College, uh, basically working on a degree in philosophy. And I've always been a person who's enjoyed uh, crafting things and going from home brewing to, uh, you know, I really enjoyed, and this was in the early 2000s, but I really enjoyed the, the craft beer world and uh, it just seemed like a, an industry where I'd be able to, to grow intellectually. Uh, I don't know, like I like working my hands. And so this uh, came up with a pretty, pretty foreign concept at the time, but uh, basically opening up a one barrel system that was uh, really making beers that were catered to pair with food. Okay. And uh, so I did that for the first couple of years. What goes through your mind when you're trying to think, how will I pair this beer with some food? Yeah, well, so the original spot was... The original spot, that is his old brewery, Epic. So the original spot was very much into uh, it kind of taking a lot of similar cues as you see with uh, Italian wine, which uh, generally runs a little bit lower in pH and is generally very dry. Um, and so that was sort of the, that was definitely the approach at Epic was, you know, uh, lower pH, so a little bit more noticeable acidity, which kind of helps cleanse the palate, cuts through fat, uh, and then also just a dryness because you don't really want sugar basically biting the other flavors that you have. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, just enough kind of tactile bitterness to basically cleanse the palate as well. Um, here, you know, it's more about just finding that making sure the beers are in balance, right? Because mm. if it's 
too bitter, then it's going to clash with the food. If it's too sweet, it's going to clash with the food. Too uh, smoky, it's going to clash with the food. So it's you know it's all about finding that uh, uh, balance. And the, you know, the, I think kind of the the challenging thing is is that really balanced beer I don't think gets as much uh, props in the uh, beer drinker world as it should. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times people are like, oh, that beer is really boring. And it's like, no, it's like perfectly balanced. And it's yeah. like, uh, instead, you know, we tend to go for like the extremes and, you know, we, we want to, you know, be like, oh, this has like hops that'll melt your face off. And yeah, you know, like that's, uh, I don't know, like I, the, the extremes make it very, make it much harder to pair or to enjoy with food. What about you? Do you have a, a certain brewing philosophy with food pairing and stuff like that? Uh, I think it really depends on the beer. I guess, you know, to step back, like when you're brewing a beer, you want to know what the intent is and how people are going to enjoy it. So if I'm brewing something for the pub, I'm thinking about freshness and like how do I get this to be enjoyed by the customers, you know, within the first month or two that it's kegged because that's what's, when it's going to be enjoyed by people. Whereas if we're bottling something like a sour or saison that might be sitting in people's cellars for months or years, you have to think about how the flavors in those beers are going to develop over time and kind of craft a beer that will age well and develop different nuances. So I think it's more, yeah, just about thinking like, how is this beer going to be enjoyed and how can we brew it so that it's enjoyed in the best possible way? I'm gonna grab the dark and stormy for us All right. Cody just said he was gonna run off and grab the dark and stormy. Turns out I got here just in time for a little bit of quality control testing. This is what it's all about. Dark and Stormy is one of our sour ales, and it's basically kind of a cocktail-inspired sour, ginger ale and uh, rum. So we use molasses in the boil to kind of simulate the rum part of it, and then we also use some, uh, we use like a Caribbean spice blend, and then Mm. the uh, ginger ale is uh, simulated by using fresh ginger and fresh lime and lime zest. So it's got all all those same elements as a dark and stormy cocktail, but brewed as a sour beer. I'm excited to try this. I haven't had it since it's uh, been bottle conditioned. Card level looks good too. Yeah. Look at that. Alright, cheers. There's a new system, mm. so okay. um, the only exception are these two tanks here, which were uh, the original tanks at Thomas Kemper, and oh. then they were the original tanks at Pike, Oh wow. and then they were the original tanks at uh, Pacific Crest, and then lastly, uh, the last spot they were at was Naked City. Wow. And then we got them. So, yeah. Well, they got around. Yeah, and they're, I mean, you could definitely... You can, you can see the wear on them. Yeah, well, you can kind of see, like, the difference between, like, a very... Uh, modern tank which has the glycol jacket goes all the way down to the bottom right whereas this has this like central I don't know it's like yeah yeah, I mean I would don't even know if I'd call it a jacket it's more like a vest (laughs) yeah this is another good display of kind of the diversity of beers we make Um, 
dry hop light lo uh, Mexican lager, a uh, dark Mexican lager, uh, kind of a contemporary lager, uh, IPA, wood aged beers. These are all, well, sours ranging from like a margarita goza to a uh, goza made with miso paste. Oh, wow. Uh, we've got like a Brett and cherry uh, and oak. Okay, so how do you come up with some of these names? At least they're really crazy. The Chunkus Obscura, Dank Caves. Some of them make sense. Party time. Yeah. Beach beer, tart miso. Uh, but what's the Chunkus so, Obscura? So Chukis is, uh, it's we make it for taco Chukis. Oh. Uh, and Chukis is like Mexican slang for like uh, that moment when you're perfectly buzzed or perfectly drunk. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah, totally. Okay. So we I needed to know that word. So now. we make that. this uh, these two beers for them. Okay. And uh, so that's the only uh, American-made beer that you can get at their restaurants. Otherwise, it's okay. all Mexican imports. Yeah, and, you, and you, it looks like you made one for the cerveza style. Yeah, okay. totally, totally, yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then so we've got, uh, yeah, I mean, I think names are one of the more fun parts of craft beers. Yeah. Kind of coming up with silly things. So you guys actually fill, like, you fill a pretty good niche here, like, running as a brew pub right up in Ballard. We've got a ton of got people who are running just breweries. Yeah. Um, you guys have a pretty secure kind of situation over here. Competition with other breweries. Do you ever think about that at all? Uh, I mean, to some degree. I mean, I, I think there's always a part of you that's going to be competitive. I mean, like, you know, when, like, the awards come up, you know, it's always... Mm -hmm. You know, we, we like to submit beers for various awards and, you know, hopefully win. And uh, sometimes, you know, if you do, that's awesome. Sometimes yeah. you get a little frustrated and you're like, ah, that beer was not as good as I would have would have ranked yeah. it. But, you know, that's as it goes. Uh, I, I mean, definitely the market is getting more crowded and it's more competitive. But, you know, I think a big part is uh, it's only really competitive if your model is the copy of somebody else's model. Mm -hmm. If you're doing, like, if you're existing in your own ecosystem, then you're not really competing. And, I mean, for us, personally, I mean, I I, I see it as looking at other people's ideas and, and not necessarily copying them verbatim, but definitely, like, being influenced and being inspired by. And, I mean, I think the, the more different people you have going on, the more ideas there are uh, floating around, and, mm -hmm. you know, the more uh, room there is to, to get a cool new idea. Mm -hmm. And... And, um, you know, like, I think, like, the whole evolution of the Northwest IPA is, like, a really great example of that where, you know, everybody's, you know, sort of copying the New England thing but not quite copying it and yeah. kind of adding their own twist. Like, I think uh, Steve at Cloudburst had a really good quote about that is that he doesn't necessarily make New England IPAs. He makes what he considers, like, contemporary Northwest IPAs, which uh -huh. are kind of taking the lessons of the old kind of more bitter, dry, uh, West Coast IPA, uh, keeping that factor, but then really emphasizing more the fruit-like properties of the hops mm -hmm. and um, kind of showcasing that. And I think that's like a really good example of um, like that kind of evolution of a beer, which, you know, it's only going to happen if you got other people making other styles of beer around you, you know, mm -hmm. like, I think, uh, you know, the early 2000s, late 90s, like, our beer scene was, I mean, it was exciting the fact that there was a lot of craft breweries, but at the same time, it wasn't, like, you look at what's going on now, and you see, like, trends happening so much faster, and yeah. ideas just being more, um, 
I don't know, like just they evolve quicker, and I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, the hazy IPA thing snuck up on me. It yeah. kind of sort of was all here all at once in like two months, right? Yeah. But even though it's kind of been going on for the last, I don't know, year, right? But a couple of years, yeah. All of a sudden, everyone on Facebook is complaining about how it's been going yeah. on too long. Every oh. now and then I talk to brewers and I'm like, what? Why do I have to make all these hazy IPAs now? But yeah. I mean, oh well. Some people don't get into it. Some people do. Yeah, I mean, for us, like, we definitely are a uh, sort of house recipe for our IPA. It takes influences but we still very much like try to have it not just pure juicy and we still like to have a little bit of a backbite of bitterness at the very end and uh, you know just try to encompass taking you know influences but not necessarily uh, just copying um, but yeah I mean as far as competition goes I mean I I think if we were say on like a 2000 capacity system and you know we were really trying to jockey for our IPAs to be on tap we might see more of like that competition but I mean in all honesty like I still haven't seen anybody locally doing like a margarita sour ale so you know we were able to kind of like I said you don't really have to compete if you're just making your own your own shit really. What else is in the five-year plan, the long-term, for Mollusk? We want to package uh, more bottles. We're hoping to do more uh, individualized partnerships like we do with Taco Chukis. Mm-hmm. Um, find you know, either a restaurant group or a restaurant that'd like to have a house beer. Um, uh, done that with that. Um, you know, we'd, we're, when we get the new system up and running, uh, we're going to explore canning. Um, not necessarily doing like six packs, but you know, like yeah. uh, nice tall boys. Yeah. I think that's uh, a really exciting uh, genre of beer that I'd like to explore. I mean, particularly when you just look at like how much money you're saving, and then with the saving on packaging, you can then reinvest that money in ingredients and kind of right. do more over the top stuff that uh, would get prohibitively expensive in a bottle just due to the packaging difference in uh, our. The difference in cost and packaging, um, but yeah, as far as like our plan, I mean, we our owner is uh, interested in probably opening up a, another pub somewhere. Uh, maybe not necessarily putting a brewery there, but having like another spot. Um, I, with the Magnuson campus, uh, there's a bunch of buildings that have basically gone fallow. That uh, one that I would like to do is. You know, in a couple years, oops, sorry again. Uh, in a couple years, look into doing like a wood-aged uh, uh, area, like maybe get a bunch of fjorders and basically ferment the beer at the Magnuson, and then hopefully we have a space within that same campus that we can then take the beer, put it into barrels or large, you know, fjorders or something like that, and do like more of a farmhouse uh, wood-influenced uh, program. Um, what was and the word you just used? Basically, giant wooden fermenters. <laughs> yeah, I've okay. heard it pronounced a couple different ways. So, fooders or fooders or yeah. But yeah, so uh, looking into doing stuff like that. I mean, I, I definitely would like to do more uh, long-term fermented uh, farmhouse sales. Is something that we're both really interested in doing. Uh, the tough thing with this spot is it's just so small and our tank space is so limited. We really have to look at our beers as like, you know, maximum tank time is like 30 days, really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having a spot where we can then let things rest for three months would be great or even a year. Mm-hmm. And so just because when you start dealing with like, um, you know, Brett's or, or mixed culture fermentation, like 
generally you want like if you have the luxury of time it, it helps a lot mm -hmm. so um, and then I'd, I'd like to down the road do more collaborations with my dad he uh, runs a, a distillery and so doing projects where like you know we'd age a beer in one of his barrels and then he'd age a whiskey in that barrel and kind of go back and pass the barrel back and forth I think it'd be really fun to do All right, let me put you on a spot. What is your favorite beer? Not from here. Uh, well, this is an impossible question. Yeah, I mean, the beer I probably drink the most frequently, and like I said, I uh, is like Kerry makes fun of me for it, but I really like Height, and it's uh, a Korean lager. Comes uh, in these yeah. big giant plastic bottles, <laughs> and uh, I can totally just take down a bottle of that and be a very happy guy. Uh, but uh, you know, other ones that I really like is. Um, uh, I've really enjoyed some of the uh, farmhouse IPAs that have come from Urban Family. I think those are really, really exquisite. Um, Urban Family also on the Ship Canal Brew Trail, yeah. cyclingcistron.com. Yeah, totally. Okay. I'll let that to sound fun. That was really pluggy. That was horrible. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, um, you know, other beers I like. Uh, I've really enjoyed everything that's come out of, uh, I mean, you know, some of the guy, uh, local guys I think are great, like, um, you know, Cloudburst, Rubens, uh, Stoop, Fremont. I mean, I think they're all making just really nice, clean, crushable beer, which yeah. I I generally lean more towards uh, clean and crushable over mm -hmm. anything. Um, I mean, I do enjoy farmhouse sales a lot, but, like, I don't know. It, like, I don't know if I'd want to have, like, a Brett Saison every day of the week. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Okay. Uh, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean... I guess you as far as favorite think. beer goes, it's uh, I kind of have two answers. The first one is kind of echoing what Cody said. I just really like a well-made like German Pilsner, okay. just something with a little bit of hop bite, but just really easy drinking and crushable. Mm -hmm. And then kind of my go-to answer is uh, Cantillon Goose, mostly just because like the experience of having that for the first time. Uh, I took a trip to Belgium and yeah. just had it at the brewery, and it was really amazing. You walk into that brewery, and it just smells like Brett and Lacto and just envelops oh, yeah. your nostrils. And so whenever I can get my hands on a bottle of that, I will enjoy it. Nice. That is my so that that question is fun because it really is like like you just said the reason that's one of your favorite beers because how dope it was going to the brewery getting it there being in Belgium and just doing all that like that's the reason you can't I never am able to answer that question do you guys have any events or anything coming up you want to plug uh well, we've got uh, Easter brunch uh, coming up uh, in two weekends, and then uh, one thing that we'll be doing, uh, not here, but it will be a lot of fun, is uh, we're brewing a beer for Hama Hama uh, for their Oyster Rama, which will be on uh, April 21st. Uh, that's always a really good time if people can get out to the peninsula. Um, we're with that uh, Brewer's Night at uh, Beer right. Junction yeah. on April 12th, so okay. we'll be pouring, I think, yeah. six different beers, five different beers, mm -hmm. and then we should have some bottles, too, at uh, Beer Junction. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited for our barley wine that's coming out uh, on Thursday. That's uh, a very, very... Uh, modern American barley wine, uh, pretty hop forward, 12.5%. Uh, it is big. 
Cody, thanks a lot for talking to me. It's been a pleasure coming to Mollusk. Yeah, stoked you were able to come down. Carrie, it's been a pleasure talking to you too. Pleasure. Thanks for coming by. If you're a rare beer collector, you might be interested to hear that some of the original Epic Ales that Cody brewed before Epic became Mollusk are still available at the Mollusk Tap Room. And funny story about that, apparently Cody is a published academic because in one of those old beers was discovered a brand new type of yeast previously unknown to science. You can interpret that however you want, but if you want to read more, there's a link on the website cyclingcicerone.com slash podcast where this and all the other episodes of the podcast are available. That was Mollusk Brewing, and this has been Washington Beer Talk. Thanks for listening.